At Northridge, we're passionate about waking you up to Jesus and helping you grow in your faith. We don't want you just to read the Bible. We want you to see the Bible. This series is called Origins. On Mount Sinai, I actually said, it, you know, it's one thing to read about something, it's another thing to stand in that place. And the same thing's true here. I'm standing in Wadi Raha, it's the Valley of Comfort, and it's this long spread out valley where the people of God were encamped while Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. So here they are, day after day, getting restless because Moses was gone 40 days and 40 nights, even though they had personally experienced God's presence, seen his power in delivering them from Egypt. Egypt had so ingrained them with idol worship that they just couldn't break it. And so they begged Aaron, Moses' brother, to build an idol, and he did. He collected gold built a golden calf, put it up on an altar, and they began worshiping that. Replacing the almighty God with a human-made cheap golden calf. And this is what gets me. They're in the shadow of Mount Sinai. God is supernaturally manifesting himself with clouds and fire and crazy stuff. And, and all they have to do is look up to see it, and they don't. And so it's just challenging to me as I stand in this context to realize when I read about the people of Israel and I read about Moses that I'm part of that same journey. And I have to be careful not to make the same mistake. But it's amazing to me that that happened here. I don't know, it's just crazy. It's so easy to miss what God's doing when you're not looking. It's so easy to miss God and what he's doing when you're not looking. I, sadly, that, the story of Israel in the Valley of Comfort is that very thing. God was doing this amazing work and they missed him because they didn't look up. But it's not just the story of Israel in the Valley of Comfort. It's the story of the multitudes who missed God throughout all of history. God was doing a work because he's always doing a work, and, and in the midst of that work, the multitudes miss him. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't want that to be my story. I, I mean, I read this narrative, and, and I, I want to experience God and his touch on my life like Moses did. I, I want my life to count in the way that God wants my life to count. But it, 
if I'm not careful, and this isn't, this isn't unique to you, it's unique to all of us. If I'm not careful, I'm going to miss it all because I'm not looking up. So I want to learn from them. I want to learn from their mistakes, which is why God gave us their story in the first place, because I want to experience Moses on Mount Sinai rather than missing him like Israel in the valley. So that's the focus of, of this weekend's conversation. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you are working and you are real. Each of us can go through seasons of our lives. For some of us, it's the very, very long season where you seem not to be working and seem not to be present and we miss you. And I just ask that you would mark our lives this weekend with this truth. Help us to learn from Moses and Israel and their choices and help us to make the right ones in our day, in our lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the course of my life, I have to tell you, I've made a ton of discoveries that I should have known when I was younger, but I just didn't. I didn't get it. I mean, it was like, I, if I had only known, if I could have only been wise enough to figure it out, I'm sure you have some things in your life that if you, if you could have known those earlier or figured them out, it would have changed a lot of things. Well, true of me in so many areas. And here's an important one for me. There's a difference between a father and a dad. There's a huge difference between the two. And, and I, I have to tell you, father is a positional title. A father describes the role a man has with his children, whether he plays that role well or not. It's his role. He's father. He's over them, right? He's, he's got power to control their journey, for good or for bad, responsibility to provide, and father. Dad is not a positional title. Dad is a relational title. I mean, it describes a man who performs the role relationally and personally, opens, opens his heart with his kids, lets them know him inside and out. When I was young, I, I had a father, not a dad. And Look, at this isn't a judgment on him. My dad grew up in an unbelievably dysfunctional, messed up environment. He had no example worthy to, to follow at all. And, and he didn't know anything about relationships. And so he met my mom and her dad was that, a father who was relationally invested in a dad. And my dad said, I want to be like him. But he he couldn't do it from the inside out because that's, he didn't see it. He could only copy what his, his father-in-law did on the outside. And so he played the father title perfectly, used his control in positive ways for his children because that's what his father-in-law had done. He, he, he didn't try and beat down, but he tried to build up. He, he provided and guided, and I mean, it was just such a positive thing. But he wasn't relationally connected. He didn't know how to do that. It wasn't a part of his makeup. But over time, my father, great father, became an unbelievable dad. He started opening his heart to me. He started seeking out and building a relationship with me. And it changed everything. I'll never forget, never, the first time after he started opening his heart that 
that he expressed pride in me. It, it literally ripped me emotionally because my father just became my dad. Changed me. When I figured this out, it helped me to go from playing the role of the father title and trying to be, in my own flawed way, a dad, relational. But you need to know this, this idea is a biblical concept that has unbelievable relevance in our relationship with God. In fact, it has everything to do with the difference between Moses and Israel in the Valley of Comfort. And so many people don't understand this. And if you don't understand it in life, that certainly hurts you. But if you don't understand it in your spiritual life with God, you will never connect to the God that wants to connect to you. It's vital. And so Jesus really shows us the concept that God is not only father in title, but he's also a God who wants to be a spiritual dad in relationship with us. And Jesus was one of the first that ever showed this. Look at Mark chapter 14, verses 35 and 36. He, he was suffering betrayal and he was getting ready to go to the cross. The, the entire point of his narrative here on the planet was going forward. And what was the first thing he did? He, he turned to his dad. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And this is what he said, Abba, Father, everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. That word Abba was how young Jewish kids addressed their fathers. It was very personal and stress the familial, relational connection. In our language, seriously, it would be like a child saying, my dad was relational. And this is where it gets interesting because you see in the religion of Judaism in that day, it was considered inappropriate, blasphemous to address God that way. It was lowering God to our level that we could be in relationship with him. You see, he was the Father, all-powerful, all-knowing, the, the all-knowing controller of the universe. And they considered it demeaning, dismissive to address him personally in such relationship terms, but Jesus didn't. And Jesus changed it for us. In fact, look at Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, the spirit you received the spirit of Jesus you've received, now that your life has been redeemed through the death, burial, and resurrection, the spirit you received doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. It's not about making you a slave. It's not about living in fear of this all-powerful father. It's not about feeling the cold and distant separation and that you're always under judgment and he's going to be swinging a baseball bat when you do anything wrong. Rather, the spirit of Jesus you've received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So now, though God is always Father, whether you believe in him or not, he's the Father in control, the one who can provide. But we can also know him personally and relationally as our dad, Abba, Father. And it makes all the difference in the world. And it comes alive in the context of Wadi Raha, the Valley of Comfort, because this is where 
Moses got it and the people of Israel missed it. Great example is the difference between Moses and those people because Moses knew God relationally. I mean, he wasn't this distant father out there, you know, wielding judgment and wrath. He, he was a personal dad spiritually to Moses. Moses knew him up close and personal, not just in head, but in heart. He didn't just see his works, you know. He didn't just see God's hand. And by the way, when God works, his hand is mighty. The parting of the Red Sea, the breaking of the backs of all the pagan gods in Egypt with the plagues. And, and he didn't just see his hand. If all you do is see his hand, he is going to be scary. But when you see his heart, you realize that he only uses his hand to lift up, to guide, to nurture, to, for positive instruction and benefit. Moses saw his heart and it caused him to genuinely love God and trust God and obey God and follow God and want to please God and walk with him. Exodus 33:11 says it best, I think, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now just so you know, it wasn't a physical face to face. The Bible even says he never got to see the face of God, though God did show him, you know, his spirit breezed by, but it means he spoke to him relationally. He was a dad. Israel, on the other hand, only knew God positionally. They knew God formally. You know, he was father. And they knew him from a distance. They saw his hand. They saw his work. It was impossible to miss. They were a part of the Red Sea. They were a part of the plagues. I mean, they saw his hand, but they didn't see his heart. And so they responded the only way you can in, in the midst of what seems to be uncontrolled power. They, they feared him. They avoided him. They, they literally hid from him. Just ridiculous, right? Here's what you need to know. If you only see the hand of God, you will never be able to worship him. You'll only be able to hide from him and run from him and play cover. Exodus 20 shows it in their life. Look at verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning, you know, they're seeing the hand of God and, and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke and they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and that's the key. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God to speak to us or we'll die. Moses said to the people, no, don't be afraid. God's not using his hand to destroy. He's using his hand to help. Don't you know his heart? He's, he's coming to test you so that the fear you have of God, the respect of his power and who he is, doesn't destroy you, but it keeps you from sinning. Just know his heart. And the people didn't listen to Moses, it says. And this is sad terminology. And as a pastor today, I'm going to tell you, it's terminology that describes most people who call themselves Christians, to be honest, let alone those who don't. They remained at a distance. And don't get me wrong, it's not just you, it's me. There are seasons of my life where I remain at a distance, and it's ridiculous. While Moses approached God in the thick darkness of Mount Sinai, no matter where God was, he wanted to draw close, but they stayed at a distance. Which brings me to this truth. It's so relevant to our lives in the 21st century. Living at a distance from God never leads to the right place. 
Living at a distance from God never leads to the right place. I told you the story of the Valley of Comfort in the video, but let me read the bookends of a real important part of the passage, Exodus 32, verse 1, and then 6. It's, you know, in the middle, they're creating this golden calf. But look at verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, you know, he went up on that mountain for 40 days, 40 nights. The tablet was being, you know, uh, created for him. They gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. What does that matter? I keep saying, what does that matter? Who cares that Moses is up on the mountain? Moses didn't part the Red Sea. Moses, but see, they were missing it. For them, it was Moses. It's all they could see. And so the golden calf was created, and then they worshiped at it. And verse 6, afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. This is a, a word in the Bible that suggests immorality. They really messed it up. They really blew it. I, you, you just have to understand, living at a distance from God, any distance from God at all, never leads you to the right place. In fact, let me give you this reality. We can't genuinely know God from a distance. You can't. You can pretend to know God. You can raise your hands. You can sing about God. You can get some adrenaline and stuff going with this stuff. But you can't genuinely know God from a distance. You can't love him from a distance, serve him from a distance, remain faithful to him from a distance, please him from a distance. From a distance, God is scary. From a distance, he's misunderstood. From a distance... He's cold-hearted because you don't understand his heart. You see his hand. You think he's just mean and brutal and uncaring. You've heard it. You've probably thought it. I know I have. How in the world can God be a good God if he uses his, doesn't use his power to stop suffering? And why does God do this? And why? You see, at a distance, you're going to misunderstand him. At a distance, you're going to disconnect from him. You're going to see him as cold-hearted. When we get close to God personally and relationally, everything changes. I mean everything. And this explains why Moses was so different. And by the way, I, I really think it's important for, to understand that those of us who have been close to God and experienced God in our lives and experienced his touch in our lives and have even had people start looking to us to lead spiritually and we've become spiritual leaders. Even those of us who fit that can fall into the trap and start living at a distance from God. Just because you've been close before doesn't mean you're close now. And Exodus 32 declares it. I told you about what Aaron did in the video. Aaron, Moses' brother, he experienced closeness to God. He actually was invited up onto Mount Sinai, experienced some of this unbelievable majesty and glory. He was a significant spiritual leader. People looked to him, but here in this passage, he went off the rails. Out of fear of the people or whatever other reason, he gave the people what they wanted. Come make us gods that can go before us. And he does it. He gave them what they wanted. He made them the golden calf. And this is a great example of a leader giving people what they want rather than helping them want the right things. 
And that is destroying the church today. It's the same thing that's going on right there. The people are coming to us and they're saying, hey, give us the God we want to go before us. Fashion a God that makes us comfortable in our culture. Help us to have something to follow that we're willing to follow. And, and too many spiritual leaders are fashioning the God that people want instead of introducing the God who is to those people. I mean, we have to do this here. And, and FYI, nothing will kill God's church more quickly than leaders who give people what they want rather than giving them God's truth. And I, it, it, it's happening everywhere. And I, and I get it. I have, I have to tell you, I get it. It stems from... in. Aaron's case and in other leaders' case throughout history and today, it stems from the desire, I don't want to lose these people. I don't want to drive these people away. I, I, I want to stop the conflict. I, you know, I want to serve God best I can. and I want people to like me after all. And all these other things that stir up. And I have to tell you, I know what that's like. In the early day when there was very few people to lose and I had no relationships with anybody who left, it was really easy. But but after all God's done here, there's nothing I hate more than someone leaving. There's nothing I hate more than someone who gets angry with me for things I say. I, I want people to love me too and like me. And I don't, I don't want to create contention. I want to create contentment. But here's the thing. Giving people what they want might give you peace in the moment, but it brings nothing but devastation and tragedy in the future. And it's not love of people that does it, it's love of self. And Aaron blew it significantly. And I just warn you, stop looking for people who are willing to fashion God in the image that you can accept, making God's truth to say whatever you want it to say so you can still pursue Jesus and have everything you want. Because just because you call the golden calf by God's name doesn't make the fake God the real one. And that's exactly what's happening here. Aaron said, they were saying, give us gods that we can go before. He made a golden calf, but he gave the golden calf God's name. And all over the world, people are giving their golden calves the name of Jesus Christ and God the Father. But just because you use the right name doesn't mean you're worshiping the right God. And if you don't worship the right God, you'll never experience the right things because fake gods don't deliver on the real God's promises. Are you experiencing the real God? Sadly, this is all too common. I, I like to look at it this way, and every once in a while, I have seasons where I fall into it. It's easy leadership over right leadership. It's what happens when we choose, even as leaders, to stay at a distance from God in the valley of comfort. And in the end, we're serving ourselves instead of God and others. And so, since I don't want to make their story mine, I want to have a story more like Moses. I have to learn from them. But if I'm going to learn from them, I have to understand why they did what they did. Why? What's the explanation for the difference between the two? Because I'm telling you, you will be in one camp or the other. What's the explanation? Here it is. How we see God determines what we do with him. How we see God determines what we do with him. Dismiss him 
or embrace him, avoid him or run to him. This is so true in Moses' life. In Hebrews 11, God says, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then he lists all the people who followed him by faith. And Moses has a big section. But look at verse 27, Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith. I mean, he, it's like God's not a golden calf. I'm going to worship the real God, even if it means going into thick, dark smoke, even if it means being up in the scary thunderstorm of God's glory. I mean, that's where I'm going. And you just need to know how you see God determines what you do with him. I know we love to blame God, love to blame religion, like to blame other people, but how you see God is determining what you do with him. Israel had no one to blame but themselves. And you need to see the difference, at least I do. I, the way Israel saw him was so different from Moses. Israel saw him as a means to an end. I mean, that's why they were following God. Well, he's going to give us food. He's going to give us deliverance. He's going to give us freedom, a means to an end. And then when Moses was up on the mountain, and so all this stuff wasn't happening around them, they weren't getting their agenda, what they wanted. They weren't getting their ends. They decided, we'd rather have a golden calf because maybe the golden calf will give us what we want. But Moses didn't see God that way. Moses saw God as the end, the entire point. I don't care if I have anything in life. If I have God, I have everything. That's how Moses saw him. How do you see him? Right? Israel saw him as being there for them. You're our genie in the bottle. And if you stop granting us wishes, we'll create another genie or look for another lamp. But Moses saw him as the reason for his being. I'm here because of you. So my whole existence is about worshiping you. He saw him differently, so he responded differently. Israel saw him in human terms, not divine, which is why they were so scary about it. That, why would you be afraid of divine if you really understood the heart of the divine? You don't. They saw him in human terms. Moses saw him as divine, not human. And so his expectation was for him to be different. Israel saw him through a natural lens, not a supernatural. They saw nothing about that that was comfortable, but Moses saw him as supernatural. And so before the Red Sea, he said, hey, you know, this is a scary moment, but our God's supernatural. He can save us right now. Watch it happen. Israel saw him as far away and distant and missing what was going on in his life and their lives. And Moses saw him as close and personal and working and caring. I just have to ask you, how are you seeing him these days? Really? I mean, I stood there in that valley of comfort and I realized so much was lost. And it was all because they saw him through the wrong lens. How are you seeing him these days? Through the eyes of love or fear? Through gratitude or disappointment, through trust or anger, through hope or despair, as distant or close, are you seeing him as a father or a dad? And a great way to understand how you're seeing him, because I have a tendency, I don't know about you, I have a tendency to give the right answer to the right question when it's not true. Do you ever do that? 
So the real question is, what are you doing with him these days? That's how you'll know how you're seeing him. What are you doing with him these days? Are you seeking him like Moses, no matter what the circumstances of your life are? Are you replacing him like Israel? Oh, you're using his name, but you're fashioning a golden calf of your own making. Are you climbing Mount Sinai, making the effort to know him? Because knowing him is what brings solution and redemption to everything. Or are you staying at a distance, choosing the comfort and ease and pleasure of the valley, looking to created things rather than the creator? You know, God had given Moses the second command. It's true he's up on Mount Sinai getting the tablets. But God had already instructed about the commands and had Moses go down and get a declaration of intent. Are you going to follow my commands or not? And they said, oh, yeah, we're going to follow your commands. And it's so easy to say, so difficult to follow through with. And the second command is found in Exodus chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them by whatever name you give them, by the way. But because they were at a distance from God and didn't genuinely know God or his heart like Moses, they were still, gosh, they were still wanting what the Egyptians had. The reason they kept turning to idols because they wanted the power and prosperity of Egypt. But let me just tell you, power and prosperity is not evidence always of God's working. Sometimes it's the evidence of corrupt character. And they were jealous of the wrong thing. They were looking towards Egypt and their gods rather than up towards the God of the universe. And here's what we need to understand. The same is true for too many of us today. I'm sorry. It just is. We get to the wrong place of wanting what our world has. And this is why we fashion the golden calves. And this is why spiritual leaders are saying it's about size and not about telling the truth. It's about keeping people, not about telling the truth. It's why we're willing to compromise and change even what truth says to make our beliefs or cultural wants fashionable. And that's what they were doing. We get to the wrong place, not the right place, when we really don't know and experience God. Are you at a distance or are you close? Now, here's the application. It gets simple, but very complex to do. If we want to end up in the right place, and can I just say, I don't care what you say in response to this or whatever. You want to end up in the right place. In fact, it's what you're struggling for every day of your life. Whether you call it God or whatever, you're trying to find the right place where you you know, who you're created to be is able to explode out. If we want to end up on the right place, on Mount Sinai experiencing God's best instead of in the valley missing him, we need to make the choice to draw near to God. That's it. The difference between Moses on the mount and Israel in the valley was Moses chose to draw near. And Israel, the text says it, chose to remain at a distance. What about you? And this is the whole gig. Look at James 4.8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. He's not playing hide and seek with you. You're playing hide and seek with him. But he won't show up. You might be calling the golden calf by his name. But the golden calf can't show up. 
Come near to him. He's already there. Psalm 145, 18 tells us who. Because some people go, oh yeah, for Moses, for other people like that, but not for me. Look at Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. I just, first of all, sometimes it's important for me to explain the more difficult words. I mean, I have to kind of tease them out and define them. And I know all is a very difficult word. So all means all, and that's all all means. you, it means. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. By the way, to which some people go, I call on him all the time and he's not coming down. Hasn't granted me one of my wishes. He, he really isn't meeting the needs that serve my agenda and all that different stuff. People in the valley were doing that. Hey, God's not doing anything. Fashion us a different God and we'll look to him. Call him by the same name if you want, but we'll look to that God, the golden calf to get us there. And that's what too many of us are doing because look at Psalm 145, 18. To all who call on him in truth. Not to all who change the truth to meet their ends. Not to all who redefine what God said so it fits their wants and desires and pleasures in this world, but to all who call on his truth. You have to decide, do you want to have what you want to have or do you want to be close to God in his truth? It's your choice. I don't want to be in the valley. How about you? Hebrews 10, 22 is talking about drawing near as well. How do we draw near? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Here we really get to the heart of the matter, don't we? He says, everything changes when you draw near to God. At a distance, you miss everything you long for. But he makes it clear, if you're going to draw near, then you have to understand, with your broken and sinful and guilt-filled heart, you can never draw close to holy God. All you can do is run from him, hide from him, pretend you have no problems with him. And all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Every single one of us have been the people in the valley. But this is why Jesus came. Jesus came because he lived the perfect life that we've all failed to live. And then he paid the penalty for our sin. The perfect one died on the cross. The wages of sin is death. So that us imperfect ones could be forgiven and made new by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But for us to get the new heart, we have to confess our sin and trust him for it. And in so doing, we get to draw near. Are you near? Now, just so you know, I have no more notes that I've given you, no more blanks, nothing else to fill in, and it was very intentional. And usually when the last blank is filled in, I know what you do. It's like, oh, the talk is done and I leave. But I'm going to tell you something. The reason there are no more notes to take and blanks to fill in is because all I wanted you to do was hear me right now. Just hear me. Everything hinges on whether you draw near to him or not. Everything. So what are the keys to drawing near? To being Moses on the mount instead of the people in the valley. The first one is salvation. 
That's what Hebrews 10.22 is talking about. You've got to have your heart forgiven and be given a brand new heart so that you can walk not just knowing he's father, but knowing him as dad. You have to be one of his children. You need a relationship, and the only way you can get a relationship is by confessing your sin and trusting Jesus. So this is the first step, and I have a couple more I want to share with you, but this is the moment I'd just love for you to bow your heads with me just for a moment, all of you, and if you already have a close relationship with Jesus and you've experienced salvation, I encourage you, pray for all of those here and outside of here that don't. Why don't we start caring about other people? But if you're here and you've never experienced his forgiveness and salvation, the change of your life through repentance and faith, this is your moment. I can't do it for you, but I can give you a prayer. And then you can take my prayer and make it your expressions of faith to God. And he'll change you. Not out loud, but in your heart. Just say, God, I'm, I'm drawing near to you right now. That's my choice. I've been in the valley, and I want to be now on the mount with Moses. I, I've served the wrong gods. I've, I've followed false truths. I've sinned against you. But you died on the cross to forgive me and rose again to give me new life. And so I give you my sin. And by faith, ask you to cleanse my heart and make me new. Save me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed with me, please let me know. Seriously. We've made it so easy. Text me at the number 313131. One word message, Northridge. And we did a lot of work on this last week because I think we were giving you a physics project and it was hard for you. We've made it. It will take you maybe one minute to fill out the link we send to you and you send it back to us and we'll be able to help you in positive ways. Let us do that for you, okay? But, but salvation's not enough because remember Aaron was close to God but then he was at a distance. Aaron led people well and then he led people poorly. And I'm telling you, this is where I find myself. I, I've experienced salvation. I experienced it a long time ago but I find myself in this, in this place where though I know him, I'm distant. I mean, can you relate to that? So how do we stay close? How do we get close? What do we do? Once we know him, then we have to continually remember to look up. To look up. I said it in the video earlier. They were in the valley and they just didn't look up. Where's this Moses? Where's this God? We have to look up to the real God instead of worshiping fake gods in the valley. I always remember this. You can worship and bow down to fake gods, but fake gods cannot deliver on the promises. So look up. Look up. Don't waste your life. And once you look up, you're saved, you're looking up, then you have to make the commitment to stay close. Because I have found I can be close in the morning and distant in the afternoon. It takes a commitment and discipline to stay close. Good times, bad times. Good times, bad times. Good times, bad times. Stay close. And how do we do that? Look at like any relationship. The problem, one of the greatest disappointments of my life is how much time I missed experiencing my father as a dad. And it wasn't all his fault. He started out being a great father and not a dad, but that's how then I knew him and I settled on that. And when he started pursuing me as a dad, I, 
I kept pulling away. And the few years I had with him as my dad are the greatest memories I have of that entire era of my life. And what's really sad is, as a pastor looking out and as a Christian looking in, most of us spend most of our life experiencing him as father, but not as dad. Just sad. And how do you experience a relationship? Well, it takes communication. If you're going to stay close, you have to continually allow him to communicate into your life. That's what the Bible's about. And you have to have a conversation with him, and that's what prayer's about. And then you need to consistently gather because together we can stay a blazing fire, but alone we're a simple ember that will quickly go out. We need each other, and we are so haphazard these days about gathering. I love that we can do online stuff. I really love that we can do online stuff. We're reaching people all around the world, but you'll never have the fire of your spiritual passion continually stoked in front of a computer or a TV like you will when you're gathered with people of the faith who are worshiping him for real. That's important. And it's not enough to be in a big crowd, right? We have to be known. We have to be connected, which is what all of our group ministries are about and all the different things because, man, when I'm face-to-face -face with someone who loves God, there's nothing more that I want than to love God like they do. And some of us never hear those stories. But the choice is yours. You can stay comfortable in the valley at a distance. Do your religious duty. Or you can get close. The question is, which story do you want? And remember, he's Abba Father, not just Father. He's also our spiritual dad. And when you know him as Abba Father, he changes everything. My prayer is that you will know him that way this week and next week and the next. And my prayer is that you'll continue taking this journey with us in Origins because next week we go from the valley to the wilderness. And oh my gosh, there's so much to learn. Hope you'll invite someone. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next time. Tell